welcome to Combustible, the podcast. Uh, for this episode, our guest is Lieutenant Colonel Bill Smith uh, with the United States Air Force. And I have his resume in front of me, but uh, we haven't done a two-hour podcast yet, and we're not going to start, <laughs> so I'm going to let him introduce himself. Uh, but we also have, uh, before we get to that, we also have uh, Captain Tom Burrell, uh, who did one of our previous podcasts on data with us, and uh, he's actually a, is it safe to say, childhood friend yes. of Bill's? Okay. Correct. And then uh, Shane Dobson and Bill Voorhees are here. So... Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Bill Smith, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So uh, I am currently commanding at uh, a security forces squadron on Offutt Air Force Base in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, home on leave with uh, my wife and four kids for Tom and I's 20-year reunion. Okay. Uh, so I have uh, 14 years active duty, graduated from uh, Georgia State, and went to ROTC at Georgia Tech. So an Atlanta boy. Who's been on the road for 14 years? And how long have you been in Nebraska? Uh, I got to Nebraska in July. I took command on 5 July, okay. so I'm still new to that command. And what does that command do? So we are a security forces squadron. Uh, we essentially do um, law enforcement and security for the installation. Uh, we have flight line security, um, personnel, asset security, and force protection for. Uh, installation of about 12,000 military. Cool. All right. Big. Yeah. Um, so the reason that we kind of uh, wanted to sit down with Bill is that we've been within our group talking a little bit about professional development in the fire service and through reading, uh, we've also been reading about professional development in the military. And uh, you don't just accidentally become a lieutenant colonel. So <laughs> what happened uh, you know, from you said ROTC at Georgia Tech. I did. Yeah. What What happens after ROTC that you end up where you are right now? Yeah. So I'll, I'll just I'll start with anything that we talk about is um, I may share some of the views with the Air Force, but essentially everything that we're going to talk about will just be my it'll be my personal views on on uh, how we develop um, in the military. Um, so. Me personally, the way I look at it, and I know other people look at it differently because I've had people talk to me about it. The way I look at it is you get you get an assignment and you do the best you can at that job um, to perform and excel in that position, and then uh, things are going to take care of themselves from there. And somebody's going to give you another opportunity, and you're going to excel in that opportunity, and they're going to give you another opportunity. Um, and it is that that I'm talking about. The, the opportunities that are handed to you is kind of what we were talking about. Um, there's a reason that those opportunities are handed to you is because you, you did a good job in the first one and somebody is trying to so everybody doesn't everybody in the Air Force doesn't necessarily get handed the opportunities uh, not not always but uh, yeah you are you're, you're presented everybody that yeah everybody that starts out in a job that is the opportunity, opportunity that they've right. been given okay. they don't always not everybody always excels in those right. opportunities uh, some jobs are more difficult than uh, others, and some people do better in certain environments than others. Right. Um, so you can have people who are, just as an example, you can have people who are really good at um, squadron command and can be really terrible at uh, staff work and right. vice versa. You can have guys who just excel at long-range planning and development and are just not good, not as good at commanding large forces. Okay. Um, so it's tough to it's tough to strike that. So balance. it sounds very similar to the fire department. Fire okay. Department, any any fire department, we got we've got people better at fighting fire, people better at commanding stations, and yeah. things like that. So yeah, same you know? kind of thing. Well, I do like the one thing you said about <clears throat> you know every job that you get a hold of, whether it's you're the recruit or you're the next level firefighter, or you're the master firefighter, it's up to that individual to that's your opportunity Always. to be the sure. best version yes. of you right then. Right. And I think when you do that you start to open up those doors and people are looking because people are always looking. So Don't that think right there not. I'm gonna touch on that real quick because I tell my airmen this. Uh, you are always being evaluated. You are always every interaction you have with your with your peers, with your 
leadership with your command element every time you have an interaction they're evaluating you right it could be something as simple as handing out a traffic ticket right or waving somebody through the front gate and checking their id all the way up to doing a presentation to the wing commander so when you say evaluated are are we talking formal evaluation are we talking building reputation uh, more building reputation, no formal okay. evaluation. There is there is an annual evaluation process that we go through, and I don't know how that equates to what the fire department does, but but I will get uh, I will get an annual report um, every year without fail uh, on how I performed in the last year of whatever my tour of duty was. And how important is that evaluation to whether or not you make the next level? Uh, early on. Not so much, but it is those evaluations that that kind of get you on the path of professional development, right? That's how they start picking out the top performers, because it is in those evaluations that people start seeing trends, so they can see that you excelled in a particular position. They can see that you excelled uh, in the professional development opportunity that you were given. They can see that you we call them stratifications, so they can see that you may have earned a stratification, so X number of 50, whatever. So if you got 50 captains and you come out in the top 10%, that's a really good thing because it means you're in the top tier of your peer group. Right. Um, If you go to a professional development school and you graduate in the top 10%, then your performance evaluation for that year is going to say that you were a distinguished graduate when you went to school. And they can can pick those things out. Right. Um, and then there's things that you got to do on your own, right? You talk about you talk about your own personal development. You've, uh, you know, it's not not required until you're uh, up in rank. But are you working on um, maybe some joint service education like correspondence? So are you? I'm Air Force. Did I did I maybe go out and do the Marine Corps correspondence course? Uh, I don't have a master's degree. Did I maybe go out and get a master's degree? Well, I noticed you had a couple things on, on here about Army. I do. So um, you did some stuff with the Army? So I deployed a couple times with the Army, um, and then I actually did my uh, – I have a Master of Arts degree in Defense and Strategic Studies with uh, the Navy. So I went to okay. Naval Command and Staff. So that's exactly – you're getting outside of your uh, – It is part of that Pyramid or whatever you want to call it, yeah. Yeah, so they send you to a joint service school. and. I'd like to get into it if we can, but I don't know how that equates to the fire department, the, the professional development of the force. But it totally equates. Well, at what point in your career did you see yourself being pushed outside of the Air Force to those things? We were talking earlier about um, the Colin Powell book you're reading and how, as those people moved up in that structure, getting exposed outside right. of the organization. Right. When did you see that in your career that? someone was actively saying, hey, look outside the box here for those yeah. opportunities. So that was uh, that was probably in the last four or five years. So that's the only, so my deployments I did, I got to work with the Army on the deployments, and those aren't necessarily um, structured. You know, like they're not saying you're going to go deploy with the Army. Not necessarily. Sometimes they do that. But um, the first opportunity that I was given was uh, to go to this Navy school. Completed that in 2016, um, but the selection. So how was that presented to you? So hey, we want you to go to this Navy yep, school. So we have this. Uh, we have what we call a developmental team, and these are the guys that are watching you, right? So, and I'm I'm strictly talking officer career field because the enlisted, the right. enlisted force structure, professional development, career development is just it's totally different, but but it's also very similar. So for officer professional development, we have what we call a developmental team. It's the it's a group of colonels from the major commands who come together and they they meet. Uh, I think they're up to twice a year now. They meet, um, and I've never sat in on this, so I'm just speaking from what I've heard, not from what I've seen. So they will come together when the time comes. They will uh, get your record, and your record has your performance reports. So your annual reports that you get, it has all your decorations in it. Um, it has what we call a surf, which is essentially just a or a rope. It's essentially just a snapshot of you. So when did you come in the military? What's your current rank? What's your current job? What jobs have you had in the past? 
what education level have you had? Have you done any other jobs outside of, uh, and I guess this would go back to what you're talking about. Have you done any jobs outside of just your career field? So my career field, security forces, military police. What else have you done? Have you, have you stepped outside of your comfort zone and gone and done right. something else? And when you did that, how'd you do at it? Did you perform or did you not perform? Um, and they pay attention to that. So stuff. this group, is this for the entire Air Force or is this so each, localized? Each career field does their own. Okay. Um, so you have logistics. Second lieutenant. Up, so they'll start pick picking up? up. They'll start picking up around captain. Okay. Uh, and they'll start reviewing records at captain because it's the captains uh, that they're trying to get ready for major. And then the majors to lieutenant colonel, lieutenant colonel, colonel. Um, but you start... When they start, they have what they call a uh, HPO, and I think it stands for uh, High Potential Officer. Um, so you get stamped with this HPO, and it's kind of a it's kind of a big secret, right? You don't you're not necessarily told that you are or you aren't an HPO, but there are you know eight to ten colonels out there who know that you are they that your file has right. been stamped as an <clears throat> HPO. From what I've learned, it sounds like that that first look is around captain when they start looking to identify HPOs. So you're a captain from year four all the way through to year uh, 10. So you're, you're in that rank for six years and that's the first time you're going to get looked at. And that's when, from the best I can tell, they start uh, purposely developing you. So they will look at job opportunities for you um, and they will push you into those duties uh, they will look at if, if you don't know that you've been selected right you don't know you got this HPO stamp on you right and somebody comes to you and says we really think you need to go over here yes and do this yes you don't really know why right potentially right I mean you could you could maybe suspect but I mean yes so how do you deal with because we've got the same thing we've got we've got captains who are in a station uh, comfortable they love their guys they love their their territory they are running calls and then all of a sudden the shift commander looks at them and goes I need you to leave this station and go to station X and station X has got one of the worst crews in the department and that's that captain says why are you punishing me right they don't see it as this is an opportunity for you to really shine. So it is, and that, that has to be communicated, right? So that's in your that's in your leadership's team. That's in your that's the responsibility of your leadership team, is what I was trying to say. So that has to be couched properly, and it has to be uh, it has to be relayed effectively to the guy that you're trying to pull out of there. This isn't this isn't me so, punishing you. Right. You have done really well here. You've performed really well in this position. Based on my other opportunities, when I look around and see the other guys that I have to pick from, you're the best pick that I have to fix this right. significant problem that I have in another department. Um, on a much smaller scale, as a lieutenant, that happened to me. I was pulled off of a flight that was doing awesome. You know, we were the number one at everything. Uh, I don't attribute that to me. I attribute it to the previous flight commander and flight chief. But I fell in on an awesome flight. I was pulled from that flight one day. Uh, to go to the worst flight in the squadron. Um, by the time I left, again, I still attribute this to my flight chief at the time. Um, I was just there to steer the ship. Uh, he um, got us to where we were the best flight in the squadron. Which, you know, looking back on it now, I'm now sitting in a squadron commander position. I know what my squadron commander was trying to do. He had a flight that had a lot of problems. He had somebody who was performing. And he, he took that performer and said, I need you to go fix this other problem. But, but he, that, that he did explain that to you? Yes. When he, when he made the that move? That has to be communicated properly. Yeah. Exactly. But how did you take it? I mean, you still knew you were leaving Shangri-La. And yes, you were, exactly. You know, and that's exactly how you feel, too. Yeah. Is, uh, yeah. Because, right, you're, I mean, you're, you're sitting in a position where you don't, you have to work, but everything's kind of running itself, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't have to be <laughs> too involved in this. Um, and then you go to one where you've got to be, you've got to put in significant time and effort, right? Um, and you don't necessarily see that as a blessing, 
but it is uh, it goes back to the opportunities, right? You've now been presented a new opportunity right. to excel. Where you, you did gonna, well where on this you flight. Land. What you gonna do? Go excel on this flight right. now. And and are you able to do it? Did you turn that flight around? Yes, we did. So what happened? I I got a good uh, performance report at the end of the year, right. and I got moved into the next position. It seems like an interesting balance for you, and I think for our people in the, in the fire service, you have an opportunity that's always in front of you, like you said. Mm-hmm. Your current assignment is your opportunity that's right. that would lead to the next opportunity. Yep. I think sometimes people get hung up looking at the next opportunity and lose sight of really handling business Some and the do. opportunity that they're in currently. And that can be a letdown, right? right? Because that may not be where your developmental team wants you to go. And there may be a reason behind that. Uh, my first squadron command wasn't anywhere on my dream sheet, uh, but that's where I went, and I loved it. And my wife and I had a great time there. Um, going to this Navy school, that wasn't the top of my list. But there's a, there are a group of people out there who have done what I'm doing. They've already been there. You know, I've got, whatever, as a captain, I've got four years in, and they're saying, you should probably go here and work this job. And when I was at, uh, I think seven or eight years in, uh, a colonel came to me and said, I, you need to take this application and fill it out, and you need to go apply for this job outside of your career school because it would be a really good opportunity for you to excel. So was, who's was, that colonel? Yeah, was that the... Do, do you have a relationship with this colonel, or is this somebody that you just really don't know? So he's in my chain of command. Yeah, it's somebody that's looking and saying... But, I mean, um, you have a personal that... I mean, does he come to you and he go, Bill, yes. this is what you need to... you know, Yes. Because... That is what happened. My personal thing is when when everybody pulls out the first names, it's you know that's right. a, that's completely different. You know, yeah. if he came to you and said, Lieutenant Colonel Smith, I think you need to go over yeah. here. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it was, it was so it was kind of a it was a uh, colonel talking to a captain. So you got an O six right. talking to an O three, right? Saying this is another opportunity for you to excel outside of your career field, but it's on you to recognize it. It's on you, right? Well, it's this on a, it's on you to do the application. I can't do it for you, right? But and it's I, on you to perform when you get there because right. I can't do that for you either. Right. But recognize that you've got an opportunity here. But you have an opportunity. Yeah. And it is a good thing to, you know, like I don't know. I'm a captain. Right. But I've got an 06 telling me that it's a good thing to step outside of your career field and your comfort zone and do something different Yeah. as part of your professional development as a future uh, right. officer in the Air Force. So we, we talk a lot about about in professional development in the fire service balancing especially now the education piece with the experience uh-huh. and so from our conversations about your career and mine um, I know that you've pursued multiple educational opportunities mm-hmm. that have come through and obviously multiple operational opportunities that give you that hand that it's a hands-on experience but that command experience right um, can you talk a little bit about that that balance yep. and and how that's viewed in the military and how education is it is it weighed more heavily today than maybe when you started your career or the people that you report to your your colonel um, you know how how has that changed? Uh, yeah, so what they they will the, again we're back to so now we're talking about promotion boards. How will the how will the developmental teams and the promotion boards look at because they're two different groups of uh, officers. Um, the developmental teams are in your career field. Uh, the um, promotion boards, you might get lucky to have somebody that's in your same career field on the promotion board, so they're really just looking at your records. Um, so when they, when you talk about education-wise, um, we have what we call primary developmental education, intermediate developmental education, senior developmental education um, primary developmental education is now it didn't used to be but is now 100% so 100% of O3s will go in residence to what we call squadron officer school um, how did you do in squadron officer school did you take it seriously did you perform well were you in the top 10% if you were in the top 10% you've now kind of self-identified as being a potential HPO that's kind of the first time that you're kid might have something because his training record just came out as being in the top 10% of not his career field peers, but right. in all <clears throat> of right. his P 
peers. All captains across all uh, specialty codes. Um, then you have your uh, IE, so your intermediate developmental education. That was where I got sent to go do the Navy program. Um, only about 25% will go in residence. So if you want to promote, you have to do the course. About 25% of them will go in residence. About 75% will do the correspondence course. Um, there's nothing wrong with either one of them. You just have to complete them. But the guys who go in residence, again, have been self-identified, maybe not self-identified, have been identified as potentially being in that top 25%. Right. So now you went there. How did you perform there? Did you do well when you were in school? Now you go to your, you leave there and you go to your next duty um, and you're going to see another promotion board and potentially uh, the way they are doing it, they're changing a lot of this right now, but the way they are doing it is when you go up for senior developmental education and you promote to lieutenant colonel, the top 20%, so they rack and stack all the lieutenant colonels, the top 20% of that rack and stack are going to go in residence and then about about another 5% are going to go in residence on a separate selection process after the fact. Um, and those top 25% are then going to go to senior developmental education in residence. Again, if you want to promote, everybody's got to do the senior developmental education program. It's just 75% of them are going to do it by correspondence. Back to your point about how people get hung up on what's next for me. A lot of people feel like if they don't go in residence, their career is done. But when you play the math, there's more than 25% of us who are promoting because there just wouldn't be enough officers to go into the next rank. So people are still going to promote by doing the correspondence course. Right. So how, how many, and I, I looked on the internet, and uh -huh. it was, I got all kinds of numbers. Yeah. How many lieutenant colonels in the Air Force? Approximately. I have to look it up. I'm sorry. Okay. I honestly have no idea. Well, I'm going to go off what with what the bottom number was because I think what I got a result of was the different uh, – it was what Congress has approved. If the Air Force is uh, at this level, it can have this many lieutenant colonels and blah, blah, blah. And the lowest number was 7,000, right around 7,000. Okay, so we are, right? uh, we are f trying to get – I think we're trying to get the force up to just over 300,000. But I, I don't know. There's not, there's not a lot. You know, it goes, it goes less and less as you go up. Right. My, so I came in. We do them by year groups, right? So I came in in the 2000 year group, so I'm part okay. of the 03 class. Um, and of the people who came into my career field in the 03 class, I think I want to say we came in with like 60 something, and we're in the we're in the 20s now. I mean, so we're low, and we're, but we're lower than we're supposed to be. I think we should be at about half of that. Well, and where I'm where I'm trying to go is, so uh, whatever the number of lieutenant colonels there are, yes, competing for the next rank of colonel, right. how many colonels are there? What's that? Is it a one in three ratio that are going to get promoted, or I don't what? Know. Okay, sorry. Well, no, no, but that that's telling because that really doesn't enter into your it doesn't your thinking. It never on has, it, you know. Um, yeah, to your point. <laughs> yeah, are you f focusing on the exact job at hand? Right. Yeah. Um, but but there yeah. are people who concern themselves heavily with those numbers and could probably quote them all to you. Well, and you mentioned the the, the promotion board and yes. the uh, what was the other group of colonels? Uh, so you have the the developmental team. Devel developmental team. Yeah. Okay. Those so are the guys who are back to what we were talking about earlier. And that's why they call them the developmental team. Those are the guys who are following. There's a sheet on you that's developed around captain um, that says these are the things that are important to us, and they list them out, uh, whatever those things are. We want you to do a flight command. Did you do a flight command? Yeah. Did you work some nuclear security? Yeah. Did you do a tour outside of your career field? Right. Um, yes. Did you do a deployment? Yes. Did you uh, go uh, do, we call them a 365, so it's a, there's different opportunities for what we call 365, but it's a year away from your family. So did you do a command? Um, did you command a squadron on a 365 away from your family for a year? Which means you're going to right. Korea or Thule or Turkey or uh, Afghanistan or Kuwait. Did you do that? Yeah. Okay. Um, and then what kind of education stuff do we want to see? And then they map out, they map out where they would like to see you go in the next three to five years. Um, some people would probably argue that we don't do a good job at that. I would argue that 
based on the numbers and the amount of opportunities, I think we do a really good job at developing future leaders in the military. Kind of to right, and, and you know, and, and that's kind of our discussion is why aren't we better at it? Because it ends up being, at least in my experience, if we, you know, and I, I'm want to read a real quick quote. Okay. Uh, from and this is from Colin Powell's uh, "It Worked for Me" book. He's talking about uh, he talks about how there are a lot of evaluations in the military mm-hmm. that uh, you got evaluated at, at all kinds of levels, and the question was why so many evaluations. And he says the reason is simple and obvious: we do not hire from outside. If we need a battalion commander fifteen years from now, we have to grow one now from a promising new second lieutenant. Yes. And when I read that, I thought about how we do that in our department. And what we do is we know that so-and-so is going to retire, and there's no real plan 15, There's no plan one year away you know, necessarily to develop somebody to take that spot. What we look at, we say, well, there are going to be people that are uh, qualified, and we'll pick the best out of that. And it's kind of the luck of the draw. It could be a great crop of potentials, or it might be a horrible crop of potentials, and you end up with the best out of the horrible group. You see what I'm saying? We're, we are not developing in the fire service the way that I think we should be developing. So how are you – so our starts early, right? So we go – our initial training, we go to initial skills training, mm-hmm. um, and we get a performance report out of there. And that performance report tells how you did. Were you capable of leading? Were you a class of – I don't know how big your classes are. We were a class of 46, I think. And I was in that particular class. I was only like number eighteen, so I'm only in right. the top half of the class, which is not. But this not would bad. be this would be like what our recruit classes would be like right. from the very beginning. From the very beginning, well, somebody. You, so you're getting a score. So of, we, we've we've graduated in thirty years. This person might be up here. Yeah, and that's in my file forever. Wow. Um, <clears throat> uh, but then it shows progression from there, right? Right. Depending on where you go. Uh, and, you, and then on top of that training report is every evaluation that you've ever had. So you had an evaluation as a second lieutenant. How did you perform? Um, and in that evaluation, there should be a push for developmental education and next job. And if somebody's not performing, then your push for that next job shouldn't be, some people do it, it shouldn't be the canned entry. It shouldn't be just, uh, well, ops is the natural progression for a guy, so he needs to go be an operations officer be in charge of X number of flights um, the push should really be what is the potential for this particular officer so in my career field is he is he better fit to go work um, as a logistics and resources officer for the next tour of duty or is he really ready to be an operations officer and I should be very honest about that because it is just that right there and my my wing commander talks about it all the time. About it's one of his one of his hits that he does. You know, all of his major appointments and major meetings that he has with his airmen. He talks about growing your replacement, and that's right. exactly what Colin Powell's talking about. You have to you have to identify early on whether people like it or not. You have to identify people early on who is the next leader. Who's right. going to be? Who has the potential to be the next? And it doesn't, it doesn't negate your requirement as a commander to develop all of your officers the same. But if you're being honest on your pushes, then you're saying, of you three, you're my top guy, and you should go be the operations officer next. And that's how that is supposed to work. It doesn't always work that way, but that's how that's supposed to work. And then that message from the squadron level where I am makes it back to the developmental team maybe five years from now when they first start looking at this guy's records as a captain right. and they go well look man I mean he's got this push he's got this push he's already done this job he's already done that job you know half of the stuff that we have on our sheet of what's important to us is already checked green he's getting good stratifications he's already been a distinguished graduate at SOS which means he's identified as being top 10% of his peer group across all AFSCs we have a job opening in this uh large unit of 300 people doing nuclear operations, why don't we go send them up there to be an operations officer in charge of these 300 people? Anybody have a problem with that? No, I think that's the perfect pick. Okay, stand. That's where he's going. 
and they start doing that at year five, six, right? And then at year 10, 11, it's time for that guy to now go command a squadron. How effective is he as a squadron commander? Okay, maybe he gets another opportunity to command the squadron. How did he do in that? And then that determines, so his next job is probably to go work with staff, right? So he did well at command, we'll push him to a staff. Well, do we push him, they go, uh, they go squadrons to groups, to wings, to numbered air forces, to major commands, to the joint, to the headquarters air force staff, to the joint staff, which is all services. So does he do his staff time at the numbered air force or do we send him up and do some match comm staff time? Or he's further along in his career, he's Lieutenant Colonel now, he's already done the match comm staff time. Does he go do headquarters air force staff time or do we get him some joint staff time? Maybe. Uh, maybe your top guy goes and does the joint staff time while the other guy goes and does right. the half staff time. But there's 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 pluses and minuses to both, right? How important is that staff position? You know, one of the things we run into here is, and not just in our department, and I was in some conversations last week with people from major departments across the country, Miami-Dade, Fairfax County, Virginia, and, and across the country, where what people see is that a lot of our folks in the fire service really enjoy being in operations. Yeah. You know, that's where the action is. That's where the relationships are in a lot yeah. of ways. And that's where they get comfortable. You get very comfortable there, certainly. Um, that's where the fun is. That is. And, and that staff role is so different uh, in the, the functionality of it and the relationships and, and any number of different things. Right. Do you all have challenges in getting people to ever not want to take their staff positions? Or is it just uh, yes. kind of built in like... Nope, it's yes and vice versa. We have guys on the staff who don't ever want to come back to the operational side of things. I love the operational side of You know, I'm an operational squadron commander. That's that's what I love doing. I did three years on a staff. Um, I had a lot of fun. I learned a lot. It was a great opportunity for me. Uh, I feel like I performed well. Um, but I'd rather be commanding. And there's people who just... A lot of responsibility you're on 24 7 you know i'm on leave right now and i'm just on the cell phone walking up the stairs uh coordinating a tdy for some of my guys a temporary duty for some of my guys who can't i mean it just right. just you're never really off when you're right. a commander right. and when you're on a staff there there is none of that to worry about you have you potentially have you know four or five people working for you and you're you're working long range planning versus the versus the fun operational stuff that's going on this minute. So you were what you were describing sound very, um, you're always moving. What's the longest that you spent in one place? Oh, uh, three years. So okay. we did, so my duties have been three, I did three years, three years, three years, and then I did a two-year, a one-year, a one-year, and this is going to be a two-year. So it averages to about okay. two years by the time you're done. So Shane, as the new chief of operations for a major metropolitan department, <laughs> how does that translate into developing your personnel and what you would do with them? Because I, I see people that have been at stations for a long, well, long time. When, when done he was talking, I was trying to figure out how do we correlate our organization to what he's saying. You know, and like when they spend this much time here and staff right. and operations and how do we change that because or how do we look at that <clears throat> and I'm going to back up just a little bit because one of the questions I have you know for us you go through the driver engineer spot and you work your way to that captain spot those are what I would consider personal performance based opportunities that individual was completely in control of whether or not they made that spot or they made the next spot, you know, the driver, right, the captain, right. or whatever. That I have nothing to do with that. But at some point, you start to have to look out at everyone and start to do some identification to say, okay, who, who is this potential? And since we don't have a very formal process of how we do that, it just kind of is what it is on right. that. But I think, you know, about those individuals that have 
you know, for us, uh, our south side, you know, they've spent a lot of time down there, and it's just go, 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 and operationally, they are strong. Right. And I'm not saying they're not strong administratively by no means. That's right. not what I'm saying. But operationally, they are strong. And do we owe it to the organization to swap some of that up to blend some of that strength or to... You know, so start would, to professionally so develop. So this is something that the military does. So I would argue, yes. And I, I jotted down three things here while you're talking because I have terrible memory and I'll forget by the time I get in. So uh, the, one of the things that we look at is that somebody that's in that position can stagnate, right? So if you've got, uh, and I don't know the fire speak, I'm sorry, but if you got like a station chief, that sounds about right. Yeah. Okay. So station officer. Station officer. So you got a guy who runs that station, right? If he runs that station for four, five, six years, he may be doing an awesome job at running that station. But he potentially has gotten himself stuck in the old way of doing things, which is right. what Tom and I talked about. There are very, there are very unpopular conversation, just so you know. Okay. Very, very. So uh, Tom will field all these phone calls after I go back home. Uh, well, no, no, but I mean, so, it, it becomes but something we have to address. It becomes a very okay. possessive thing. This is my station. Yes. These are my This is my squadron. But I know that at the end of two years, that's not my squadron anymore. But you've been you've been prepped for that, right? You, yes. That's the culture of the military. Yes. That's not the culture. Not the culture of the fire department. But we are in a position now as we come up where we can change that culture. I'm getting to the position now where I can change the culture of how a squadron operates because I'm on my third squadron command. I'm very comfortable with it, and I've reached the rank of lieutenant. And I've got people who are interested in what I have to say. Maybe just by the well, nature of the rank that I'm wearing now, but they're interested in the ideas that I have. You might be a colonel very soon and sitting on that developmental... Potentially, I'm at the know? exec council, right? Exactly. Yeah. So You might be deciding who's the HPO. That's right. You know? Yeah. If that's a real thing, it's still a mystery. But yeah. <laughs> you haven't seen behind that curtain right. just I've yet. Just, right, I've just heard there, You know, it. you're gonna, they're going to take you into a room, and there's going to be some doors on the on the wall, and they're going to open it up, and there'll be a golden light, and there'll be a exactly. stamp. Yeah, exactly. An HPO stamp. Yeah, that's it. You can't touch it. Door, you can't touch it. Here it is. I've been looking for that door. Or after the podcast, it'll be that it was actually invisible ink that disappeared. Disappearing ink. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not anymore. He was a good candidate. He was a good candidate. Now he's running his mouth. I, I interrupted you. What were you no, that's good. So they have the potential to stagnate, right? So you got the ownership aspect of it. Um, you've got the training aspect of it. This is how I did it when I came up. Well, when you came up, maybe potentially have been 20 years ago. And technology and uh, um, leadership development education and all that stuff has advanced over the last 20 years and it's constantly changing and a lot of people don't want to hear that even in the military Um, the second thing is we purposely move people around uh, at least on the officer side to develop experience so if the only job that I've ever had this could easily equate to the fire department if the only job that I've ever had is at I don't know station numbers but station number 11 so I work station 11 for 10 years, um, I was a uh, firefighter there, I was a medic there, I drove the ladder truck there, now I'm the ops officer there, uh, or I run the station there, right. uh, and now it's time for the next promotion cycle, and I put in for one of the headquarters jobs to come work down here at the headquarters, and I get picked up. Where's my experience? Right. It's all in station number 11. But now I'm now I'm potentially overseeing I don't know how many now I'm potentially overseeing sure. ten stations, but my experience only came from station number eleven and crap yeah. I'm not ready for this. Uh, or you get like you guys said you're heavy operational down here. Maybe you got some other department who's not so heavy operational, but they do a lot of community outreach. Uh, maybe another station does a lot of uh, medic work because they've got ambulance trucks that run out of there I don't know um, but I would argue that that the department being outside looking in if that's not happening I would argue that for in order to develop the future department leaders you have got to purposely move these people around um, and there has to be somebody at the corporate level that's reaching down and saying 
it's time for you to go be a truck driver over here. And it's right. time for you, station captain, to go be or station yep. lead, to go be a station lead down okay. in one of my operational units on the south side. And to grab somebody who's been sitting at the staff level work pushing paper for five years to go, you know what? You've gotten pretty good at this, and now we want to give you an opportunity to do this. And you take them out and you stick them at one of your problem stations that you know that they can fix. And if you're not purposely doing that, um, then you're doing a disservice to the organization and to the people. And the individual. Right, exactly. to the individuals. Um, the other thing that we look at in the military is that you're getting a fresh look. So you're getting fresh eyes. So the guy that I took over for is my mentor in the career field. I have a lot of respect for him. Uh, and he does an awesome job of running the squadron. And when I fell in on the squadron, everything's already, it's like push buttons, man. Everything's already mm-hmm. happening. But because everything's already happening, it gives me the opportunity to take some of these new ideas and go, question stuff. Why don't we, why don't we inject this into the operation and see right. what happens? Maybe that's a better way of doing things. And you push that button and you watch and see what happens. So you're the only little experiment. Right. Um, and you also get a fresh look at, at how things are going, you know, if if the guys are unhappy with the shift schedule they're in. So look at, let's look at the shift schedule. Is there a way to make, is there a way to take some risk somewhere in order to get the shift schedule back to where it is supposed to be and to get people's morale up just based on the shift schedule? Yeah, potentially. You got 217 hours of required training a year. Uh, I'm doing mostly law enforcement and flight line security. Do I need to be spending an hour on how to work a plugger, which is like a type of GPS? Or doing map and compass land nav for three hours. Right. I, mean, I probably don't need that crap to know how to guard an aircraft or to <laughs> pull somebody over and write a ticket, right? right? But the book says it's mandatory. Well, I, I, I don't care. You know, you made me a commander for a reason, and we're not going to do that three hours of land nav this right. year. We're going to spend three hours on whatever. Right. An airman family readiness class on how to be a better parent. I don't care. Something that you could actually benefit from. Benefit from, yeah. right? Um, so that's why we purposely move people around. So a lot of people get, you know, on the civilian side looking in, they go, oh, "Man, I just can't understand why you guys move around so much. It doesn't make any sense." Wouldn't you want to be in one place and just have that ownership and, right, right. and know how familiarity and see well, how much what you're bringing to that? Yeah, uh, yeah, potentially outside looking in. But the reality is, is that eventually I'm going to be at this level on a on a staff somewhere in charge of looking out over six, eight, nine squadrons who all do things differently because that's what works at their installations or who all have different mission sets on their uh, dock statements. And um, if the only place that I've ever been was Goodfellow Air Force Base, then I am woefully underprepared for what is going to be going on in the rest of the Air Force because that's a unit of 86 people with no flight line heavy law enforcement deployments. Right. You talked about culture a little bit and getting to that point where in your career you can impact the culture where you are. Um, Where do you think that really, where do you think that opportunity really presents itself in in the officer ranks in your organization? Do you think it's at that, I mean, is it it at that second lieutenant spot? I mean, where where do you really have that chance to? I think it starts early. But where you can truly start to, and I know you were asking him, but it made me think, you know, he could start to change the culture at some point, and he's got a big organization. The military's a big organization. So you think about our organization, right? You might get to a spot where you could force cultural change, but not have any buy-in from the troops, no credibility mm-hmm. there, and it will be just a forced action mm-hmm. instead of a true what I would consider a cultural change, which that means that it has to be some sort of buy-in and belief system for that culture to actually change. Well, uh, I, think, I, I think the reason I bring it up is just because I think sometimes people feel like they they can't influence change, something, right. right? You know, it's the big organization. Yeah, Air Force is a huge organization. Right. We look at, at DeKalb, and it's a large fire department. And, and someone sitting at Station 11 may not feel like they can really um, influence very far, but the reality is, is that if your sphere of influence is is that station, then you influence people within those walls. But 
does your let's say that influence means that your performance is better right mm -hmm. you're quicker out of the station you're faster to the scenes you work harder you work longer you know but does that then affect that next station over I don't think we really appreciate right. really at what level that that influence really kicks in it doesn't necessarily have to be at that station officer or even chief officer level I mean I really think it starts early and that's why I ask in your organization you can will change mm -hmm. through rank mm -hmm. and position in position absolutely yeah. but where do you where do you really start seeing the the effective use of of leadership to change culture uh, where it should start is at the earliest possible point so the, the first time that you're given supervision over an airman or you're given control over a section of flight and organization whatever it is that's when it should start that's when we encourage it to start as at the lowest level to your point it is likely not going to go beyond your sphere of influence initially but if you can get buy-in from your section so we go uh, S functions. So we have an S1 does personnel, S2 does intel and investigations, S3 is operations, S4 is logistics and resource, S5 plans and programs. So those are your S functions. Well, if the S, to your point, if the S4 is doing something a different way and, and they're showing positive change and high morale and effective leadership and um, camaraderie, then potentially... The S5, yeah, the S5 starts right. looking across the hall going, how come they're always what having so they much doing fun? Over there? How right. come they're doing things this way? Why aren't we doing that? And then they try it. Uh, and then potentially you get the whole squadron. So, yeah, I'm, I am, I don't like it to be that way. I am in a position where I can, will change. The change that I implement can only be effective if I have the buy-in of my immediate leadership team, which is the way you were talking. So I've, I've got to find a way to get their buy-in. And the best way that I've found, this is just, it works differently for everybody. The best way that I've found is to bring them in on the problem set. I may already know what, where I want to go or what I think the answer is, but if you bring them in and make them part of the solution and give them the opportunity to put their spin on it and give them some buy-in, then you're better off because now they they have a vested interest in in making that yeah. that successful that change successful. But I, you know, you talk about cross uh, cross organization, um, even if it doesn't spread, right? So station eleven doesn't spread to station twelve. If you're doing the, if you're doing the purposeful development of your future leaders based on past performance then eventually you're going to rotate somebody who was on that team out of there. Right. It may not be the guy who was running it. It may have been his ambulance driver. I don't know. But, but that ambulance driver was part of that team, and now that ambulance driver is going to go somewhere else, and he's going to be working operations in a different department. And now he goes, hey, right. I know you've been here for a couple of years, but you know, down at 11, here's how we were doing it. Here's how we were doing it, and we yeah. loved it. Maybe we don't implement the whole thing because I could see how that wouldn't work in 12, but here are the three things out of what we did that I identified as, you know, that might work here. Why don't you give them a try? And then potentially they try that. Or maybe they're in a position now where they can implement that based on rank and position. Like pollinating a crop. Yes. But if you're not doing the purposeful development and right. rotation of personnel, you're then you gonna are going to stagnate and you're going to end up doing things the same way you've always done things and you are going to get disgruntled people and your morale is going to stay down potentially. Your retention rates are going to drop potentially. Uh, it, because it's not always about money. You know, we talk about why should people pay more? Well, you know, I think I think you could probably find an equal number of studies that say that the money money is not everything, and there are people that will work in a particular organization for less money because they are happier going to work every day. True. That's a that's a different. I was about to say that's a different podcast, Bill. Yeah, <laughs> He's, we, we've talked about this uh, at length. There's a a book that uh, is on my reading list about um, it's called Drive, and it, it talks about specifically what motivates people. And I totally agree with what you're saying. Uh, the point that he makes in that book that I, I thought was a good one was that that is completely 100 percent true. 
as long as the base pay meets the base requirements of that individual. If they have to worry about buying food, they will never achieve that point where they're willing to do more for that less amount of money. You see what I'm saying? I do. If, if I'm right. only paying... The hierarchy of needs needs yeah, to get... Yeah, exactly. Level, yeah. Exactly. The, I can, yeah, the hierarchy of needs. There you go. laughed at your sociology. Was that Maslow? Is Maslow? Is that Maslow? Okay, I want some points for that. a whole degree on that. All right, so now that we have sufficiently scared the bejesus out of everybody that's under Chief Shane Dobson with our discussion of shuffling the deck and pollination... They should be excited for their new opportunity. Exactly. Uh, I wanted to go just a little bit of a different um, topic, uh, and it has specifically to do with your resume. Okay. So your, our, I keep saying your resume. You you sent us a bio. Yes. Um, the bio has a picture of you on it yes. in your dress uniform. Yes. And you have a lot of service ribbons and other medals on your uniform. Uh-huh. In the fire department, I don't think that we. Uh, I think that most firefighters there is a um, hesitation to celebrate uh, accomplishments. accomplishments accomplishments there you go uh, we we basically for lack of a better way of putting it want to show up change whatever horrible thing was happening and then just slink away and you know not there's there's a, an avoidance of recognition I think in the military you guys have and you know you've got this and I don't know what you call the cluster of all those those ribbons that's but, what it is, ribbon. It's a okay. ribbon rack. Okay, ribbon rack. So, and it it literally tells a story mm-hmm. about you and where you where you've been and what you've done. That's right. So, how do you how do you feel about where when you put that on? How does that make you feel? Are you proud? Are you kind of a little? Oh, here I am with all my stuff on again. You know, I mean, what what does it? So make you can you feel? see that, right? You can. I can see both sides of that. I can see people going, uh, here I am, just you know, showing off in front right. of everybody. Um, I would argue that people should be proud of their accomplishments, um, right. and that when that, when the opportunity to, to put that uniform on and show that, um, you know, some of these things are simple, right? So, well, but. I completed my basic training. You showed but, up, but still, yeah. But but then <laughs> there's other ones in here that right. that have a story behind them, right? So you got a meritorious service medal. My first meritorious service medal was for a deployment to Iraq. So there's a story in that citation that right. that, that highlights an accomplishment. So there's an accomplishment behind that ribbon. You know, I've got I've got three of them on here that came from the army because I've got deployments right. where I was with the army twice. I, and I, I agree. We should be proud of it. I think we do a horrible job of celebrating that. Uh, and it's, it's you know, and I'm, I'd be the first to tell you, I'm one of those people that just doesn't want to, I want to fly, you know, I just, we, we've had an episode where we talked about getting the nod. That's all I want. I just right. want the nod from the people that I respect that you're doing a good job. Yes. Give me the nod, give me the nod, you know. <laughs> that doesn't work for everybody. Well, and it doesn't, but it also doesn't, you don't get to wear that around, you know. When you, right. You don't get to tell other people, oh, well, no, no, so and so. So, so, so that'd be good. Yeah, yeah. You know, we need something. <laughs> Who's that? Yeah. <laughs> they said, Is that good? I promise. <laughs> but, uh, I, and I, I mean, you guys chime in on this. How do we in the fire service, do we do a good job? Do we do a bad job? Can we do it better? And I, I'm not necessarily saying that we need to emulate the military. We claim to be a paramilitary organization, but. Mm-hmm. How do we, if it, if it is a cultural thing of avoiding that kind of recognition, how do we create the culture where it's okay well, to wear those ribbons? Let me ask you this. Does, sir, this is going to be a dumb question. I'm not really sure how to go with it. Does that show some set of value that the military has about you? Does that show some outward value to you? Not necessarily. No, it doesn't. Um, because I I think it we is need to concentrate on past accomplishments. You, you know, there has to be some. We, the three of us, Bill mm-hmm. and Tom, we have talked about we need to incorporate some true value into the employee. Like we need to show you there is some value to what you are doing. The, the, Does the, that the do organization it? values you? Yeah, that the organization yes. values what now you're that, doing. Does that, is that say that? Yes. So that uh, I probably it was. I didn't, I didn't good, probably say it. No, it's all right. I didn't do a good job of catching what you were asking. But but yes, this does show that they value you. And it is noticed too, right? So when they're when you're 
back to the developmental team, when they're looking at this, if you PCS from a job and didn't earn some sort of recognition at the end of the job, um, these recognitions highlight uh, consistent superior performance, right? So you don't, we don't just hand out medals. Some would argue we hand out medals, but we don't just hand out medals. Um, if you perform at an exceptionally, if you perform exceptionally well in that last job, and you get a decoration out of that job, you get a medal, whatever it is, um, and you PCS onto your next job, the developmental team looks at that and they go, okay, he got a decoration. You PCS out of a job uh, and you didn't get a decoration, then that previous commander was sending a message. And that should equate to your performance report. So the fact that you didn't get a decoration should also be highlighted in your performance report. And when all those two don't match, it's no longer the individual who didn't get the decoration that's in question, it's now the the person who wrote that performance right. report is right. now in question. Like, why'd you give him a good performance report exactly. and a decoration? Is not right. Right. Or, right, or why'd you give him a decoration and a bad performance report? I think right. what I see here, and just my experience in DeKalb, has been that uh, our reputation is our, um, our, our reputation is our, uh, sure. our, our reward, basically. And, you know. because yeah, you, you say that, you say that the name of the department and people might go okay yeah I know you guys are busy yeah or the individual's okay. reputation right okay. you know okay. so so you look at, at Bill's photo here and you see his ribbon rack but you know our reputation that we build individually through our career in this department oh I see just internally you know when whether it's through a full career or whether someone that's halfway through their career that is your recognition. That's what you're known by. It's that tattoo. Well, yeah, and, so we and, have other ways of doing that, too, and I don't know if you guys do that. Well, what I was going to say was that, for, you know, it, it, instead of a ribbon rack in some cases, it's that, you know, you were a station officer, and down the road, half a dozen of the, of the men or women that worked underneath you as a firefighter are now station officers. Those are your ribbons in our right. organization. Well, you know, and very good point. You have developed people that you've worked with. Your sphere of influence has created development within the organization. The next, but that recognition is. doesn't extend outside the department. No, it does not. Which, Absolutely, which that's part of what we've been talking about this whole time is getting outside of your right. You know. So another way that we do it um, outside of the ribbon rack. So you say we don't want to do a ribbon rack in the fire department; it gets vetoed. Uh, we don't want to do medals, citations, whatever it is. Uh, another way that we do it is annual awards, and I don't know if you guys do annual awards, so we do quarterly and annual awards, um, and they're in categories, so best, right. best ladder truck driver of the year, best ambulance uh, technician of the year, I, I know all my right. terminologies are jacked up, I'm sorry guys, you like, you know, but best words, station, you're doing good. Best, station, <laughs> best station chief of the year, and then you do, uh, we have annual squadron level awards so you would do the same thing for your stations all 15 stations right put in a, a 15 lines at the end of the year to say this is all the crap that we did in the last year and this is why we deserve to be recognized as the best department for this right. past year and those guys can associate themselves to that and even if you're purposely moving them every three years to another department they can always fall back on when I was at Station 4, we won uh, Station of the Year, right. and, and there's my recognition plaque on the wall. I was part of that team, right? and that helped me get to where I am today, right. and they always have that. Um, so I don't know if you guys do something like that, but that's another opportunity for that personal and departmental recognition right. that, that is totally outside of this. I think it's interesting because a lot of our recognition that we do um, is more event-based so you had that event that you responded to that incident you uh -huh. responded to you you successfully operated and uh, solved the problem whether that's saving a life or whatever that may be we recognize that achievement in various forms I'm not sure that we do much of a very good job at, at, at what you talked about which is an interesting point I mean that would be a whole different arena right. of mm -hmm. Recognizing people for not just yeah non operational yeah well, I mean but there's yeah there's different when the red lights I mean, aren't flashing in the front I'm gonna, yard you know? I'm gonna 
I hope I'm not going to embarrass Shane when I say this. Probably stop. Then I should stop. (laughs) Uh, We were uh, we were both preparing for uh, a promotional uh, assessment a few years ago, and I was helping you with your resume, and it was like pulling teeth to get you to tell me the good things that you've done. Not because I could come up with nothing. No, there were plenty. And I mean. It, it got into a little bit of an argument between you and I because I was very adamant that things needed to go on your resume that, that highlighted, you know, the, the level of performance that you had. But I, I just, I, I do think it's inherent in us that we avoid that. And it's, a, it's an interesting problem to solve to reward people that don't necessarily want to be recognized. I mean, I can remember growing up in this department and hearing I don't understand why we're wrecking it. you're doing your job right oh yeah yeah no, like, this that is just was do, what we yeah that's what I grew you up you save hearing. somebody well, okay yeah, that's great what we, that's what that's we pay what you to do, to do. <laughs> there's you some recognition right there. right so but it I mean to put it back on the military example you know you fly a mission you whatever you know drop ordinance somewhere yep. that's what we were trained to do right but we're still recognizing you for it you yes. know you did you did good for doing it well so this is I mean that is something that could be implemented easily you know uh, 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 just a departmental recognition right send 15 lines into the headquarters every department's required to do it you're gonna write 15 lines on everything you accomplished this past year we right. saved a life we put out 15 house fires we wrote whatever number of citations that earned $10,000 for the county. We did community outreach and potentially uh, saved three lives based on our um, fire inspection program and uh, whatever. And you, and you submit that. You're looking for a job? And right? somebody grades. <laughs> <laughs> somebody grades. Uh, I mean, this is how we do it, though. This is what I gave Somebody grades. And then you hang that on the wall. Yeah. And I was always a part of that team. Right. And I've done really well in my career, but I've never, I've never won a, a squadron of the year award. I've been a part of a team who won it in previous years, but I've never, I've never right. done that. And I think that would be really cool. It's like uh, being in the major leagues and wanting to go to the World Series. Right. Well, I finally made it to the major leagues. That's a huge accomplishment. Never made it out of the postseason. Well, and you know, you talked about implementing change, and I want to get back to that sphere of influence. That uh, and I'll, I'll use an example. One of our captains, um, nickname a Juice, in case anybody knows it. You know, he called me uh, wanting to implement a station level award as a new captain. Do it. He yeah. He he said, hey, I want to do this. Is um, it his department? Don't even ask. Just do it. it, well, I mean, there, it, it do was it. just at his station. It's within his sphere of influence. Do it. But then maybe it maybe it does get that pollination where we start. The next station says, "Hey, you know what? We're going to do that too." How come we didn't get to do that? Yeah, right. You know, so that's good stuff. And then you, have, yeah, you have your individual. You know, you got a department of fifteen people. Right. That's his sphere of influence is fifteen people. And, awesome. and the good thing Make is, you, right you gave him the go ahead. You know, you gave him that little well, empowerment to that, say, "Yeah, I, yeah, kind of." You told him not to do it. Well, no, no, I did tell him to do it. The question was <laughs> stupid idea. That was dumb. <laughs> the question was whether or not we could generate uh, official, official documentation. documentation from the department recognizing his, and I, I that was outside of my ability to right. approve. So, and you can, you know, I touched on the major leagues, right? So it's their job to get hits and play well and steal bases and. You're absolutely right. Yeah. We still we still give out MVPs. Oh, yeah. they get ticker tape parades when they when they. But win. you know what I mean, though. Yeah. No, well, you're exactly why didn't right. we pick our MVP of the, of <laughs> right. the year for that department? Why didn't we pick our MVP squadron of the year or uh, department of the year? Right. Why didn't station houses? Why didn't we say station house? Whatever you were MVP this past year. Congratulations. Right. And you performed really well leading that team, and now you're going to go lead station thirteen. You better win next year. Too. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for all you do. Go get him, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I think we've reached the end. Okay. Uh, we really appreciate Lieutenant Colonel Bill Smith for coming and talking to us. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Tom Burrell, for putting us in contact. Sorry. And um, doing what you do. My limited skill set. Uh, you know, there's it's a, very valuable. My phone didn't ring much today, but I left one up there. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably dancing across the floor as we speak. 
His wife. Uh, Tom is a connector of people. <laughs> wow. Speaking right. of. There you go. Yeah. So, um, but uh, we want to encourage all of our listeners to uh, check out the website, uh, combustiblethepodcast.com. Uh, we're on Twitter. And uh, I know I'm forgetting something. We're on Facebook as well. Special questions? You doing your special questions? No, I wasn't going to do that anymore. I keep getting criticized from the other podcast okay. hosts. So, um, but uh, yeah, check us out on any of those. We've got a reading list. Uh, I know we keep pushing the reading list. Military has a reading list. They do. We've got a reading list. You know. Um, well, do you have yeah. So we are. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a good question. There we up go. The show, right. Yeah. But, yeah. But I. One of the things that I highlight in my squadron is that we're a professional military organization and that it's your individual responsibility um, to continue to educate yourself and be an active member of that professional development. Um, and part of that is doing things like that. So right. reading about the history of your force and reading where you came from and reading about leadership and reading new ideas on how to uh, implement change and taking right. from people who have done it successfully like Colin Powell and trying to trying to uh, incorporate that into your game as a leader I think everybody has a responsibility to do that that you shouldn't just you should never regardless of what position you're in you've never arrived right absolutely do you put you on the spot do you have a, a book recommendation Ooh, uh, anything that really rocks your world don't say, uh, don't say Mad Libs no no Mad Libs <laughs> <laughs> Doonesbury 14 <laughs> choose your own adventure <laughs> yeah no I, I mean I've I've read a I've read a few that the I'm trying to remember the name of the trilogy that I'm reading right now but it's a historical fiction about the Civil War is what I'm reading right okay. now uh, by the Sharas he's got a, he's got a bunch of books out there by the Sharas but uh, but yeah I've read I think Colin Powell's biography is an amazing book um, it worked for me is actually on my list um, uh, you know politics aside um, like him or dislike him, I think the I think the Killing series by Bill O'Reilly is really well done. Hmm. Um, some of the other ones I read Unbroken recently. I think I think it's called Gates of Fire. Talks about it's basically the story of three hundred. That's 300. on Shane's uh, yeah. reading. And I, so I think that's a great. I think that's a great book yeah. uh, that just that just talks about um, leadership and uh, standing up to adversity and overcoming it right yeah yeah gates of fire and i think it's stephen pressfield i don't remember correctly but yeah i think that's a good one but, too. Uh, yeah well thank you again for coming in and yeah this was talking awesome. to us i enjoyed it and uh i'd we, love to uh, come do it again next well, time well let's yeah leave. let's do that so <laughs> <laughs> but, it was uh, fun yeah so uh we will uh we'll check us out next time hatch always hates how we end these things because they just never end well that's it the end and uh, go find Hatch, something else to do. As yeah. Hatch says, <laughs> back in service. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. Y'all be safe. Thank you.